This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer. We're a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com, more of our podcasts at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And you can also follow us on Letterboxd at obsessiveviewer, obsessivetiny, and I am Mike White. Finally, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. And this is my first time doing all of that in one go that I scripted out, and I feel like that is way too much stuff to front load the podcast with. (laughs) So I am sorry. (laughs) We will do better next week. (laughs) Uh, Tiny, how's it going? It's going muy bueno. Yeah. Oh, oh, because Roma. Yeah, the last one. Nice. Uh, clean that. <laughs> uh, yeah, today we're going to be reviewing Alfonso Cuaron's, uh, Roma, which is currently on Netflix, um, and is in limited release in theaters, uh, which, you know, uh, spoiler for the review, we both watched it on Netflix. Yeah. Um, I really kind of wish that I would have carved out the time and money to go see it in the theater because like it wasn't playing at any of the amcs near us mm-hmm. um so it would totally be worth it to see it in a theater yeah like my my a-list superpower was was not effective for it but it was playing a keystone art but also it's like it's a drive yeah and it, the seats aren't that comfortable anymore mm-hmm. so anyway um maybe it'll be Maybe it'll, maybe it'll have like, cause I know AMC does like AMC independent, like they'll have in uh, yeah. smaller run movies. Right. Um, so maybe it'll pop in for like a week or so. But anyway, um, yeah, so we both saw it on Netflix, but yeah, um, before we get into the actual review, is there anything we need to cover uh, outside of news? Any housekeeping uh, that I'm forgetting? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Um, yeah, so we'll go ahead and go into news. There's not really much to talk about. Um, <laughs> oh, there is something to talk about. Okay. Um, let me just go ahead and get this out of the way. Tom Hanks is going to be playing Fred Rogers in a movie um, about Mr. Rogers. And it was just revealed today that there was a, that there's a title for it. It's a, a, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah, which I think it will be fun. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just think that that casting is so inspired. Like Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers. That's, that's, that's great. He's already America's dad kind he, of. He is. Yeah. yeah. And like, he's, he's like the, uh, closest thing. I, I think I've heard him refer to this. Like he's like the closest thing to like a modern age Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. Um, that's a good comparison. Yeah. Um, love the guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but uh tiny today something uh we're recording this december 27th um it today it was announced that tomorrow december 28th on netflix there is have you heard about this there's going to be a black mirror event yeah yeah uh black mirror bandersnatch yeah it is a movie 
um, that is going to be hitting Netflix here in like three hours uh, outside of this recording. Um, it is a movie about a programmer in the eighties who, uh, gets wrapped up in some thing. I don't know. I, I was intentionally didn't pay too close attention to the trailer. Um, but the thing about it is that it is going to be, it has five hours worth of content in it. Um, it, it is going to be, I believe it's going to be like the choose your own adventure right. type of viewing experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I am ecstatic for that. And I am sorry that I haven't gotten anthology back off the ground, <laughs> but I don't know. We'll talk more about this in, in the next couple of weeks, but I like, I mean, I'm, we're not closing down the other podcast, but like, it's kind of, they're both on hiatus at the, for the time being. Right. Cause we, I like for anthology, I can't find the time to really do it or the energy. And with podcasting, it needs to stay fun. Otherwise right. it has to I be, in, it has to be inspired. Yeah. 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 And so I, eventually I will return to anthology and eventually we will pick back up with tower junkies. But for right now, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you for right now. I like the laid back kind of obsessive viewer thing. Totes. Yeah. But anyway, um, that went a different way than I expected. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Bandersnatch. Are you excited for this? Do you? How do you feel about this? I haven't read up on it at all intentionally. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was coming out this Friday. That I didn't know that. It, well, there were whispers and everything, but like the announcement was like this morning. Oh, really? <laughs> like, okay. Like I woke up and I saw on Facebook like, oh, uh, Netflix added this post like 36 minutes ago. It's like, oh, it's coming out. Wow. Um, which that's. I I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, if it's anything Black Mirror, I'm game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm yeah. going to check it out. Same here. Same here. And then in like three years, I'll review it on my other podcast. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, anyway, yeah, I'm very excited about that. Um, so, yeah, but we're going to kind of – that's really all the news that we have. Um, so, yeah, so we are going to go ahead and review Roma. Um, I'm going to read the plot description courtesy of IMDb. Um, do you have the plot description up by chance? Uh, yes. Okay, do you want to run it? Sure. A story that chronicles a year in the life of a middle-class family's maid in Mexico City in the early 1970s. Very uh, concise plot description. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, written and directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, his first feature-length film, or his first feature-length film since 2013's Gravity. Um, before we get into the actual non-spoiler review, um, I just want to run down Quran's, uh filmography. Um, there's been uh, several movies that he's done. Um, I haven't seen many of them. I've seen one, two, three, uh, only three of them. He did solo, his directorial debut uh, was in 1991, Solo Con Tu Parejo. Uh, Pareja, uh, have you seen that? No. Okay. Wasn't, um, wasn't aware of it. Yeah. Uh, 1995, he did. Oh, interesting. Oh, I don't have everything on here. Huh. Um, A Little Princess in 1995, uh, Great Expectations in 1998, and let me find out when he did this. Uh, E2 Mama Tambian in 2001. Um, have you seen that yet? I have not. Okay. Uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Right. Yeah. Uh, I believe you've seen this. He did a segment of Paris Je Tame. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember his segment? I don't. Okay. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Gotcha. And he also did Children of Men and Gravity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I do want to touch on Itumama Tambien real quick. Um, I've mentioned it before that Letterboxd, uh, there's a, there's a Letterboxd official subreddit that they do film club every week. And one of the weeks was Itumama Tambien. So I watched that and it, is incredible. Really? Yeah. Do you know much about it? I don't. Okay, so it's about two teenage teenage boys who are like sex crazed. Uh played by Diego Luna and oh, who is the other one? Uh, isn't it uh, Gael Garcia Bernal? Gael Garcia Bernal. Yeah. Um they're they play these like sex obsessed teenagers who um <laughs> convince one of their the wife of one of their cousins to go on a road trip with them, like she's an adult, like she's like, I don't know how old she is, but she's, she's an adult, um, to go on a road trip with them to a beach that they made up. <laughs> and so what it is, it's, it's a coming of age movie that is beautiful. Like, first of all, it's beautiful because it's Alfonso Cuaron. And like, he did, de- like, I associate his, um, one of his trademarks is the long take and everything. Mm-hmm. And so like when you see it in like children of men, like my introduction to him was children of men and like the long takes where like the scene with Julianne Moore in the car that follows it. Like, yeah. like it's, it's, it's amazing. The climax of the movie is just unbelievable. Cli- yeah. yeah. The climax on the street with the war going on and everything. Yeah. Um, and then gravity is just like a, a spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I associate him with these big, like elaborate, like long takes, but like Itu Mamatamian is this road trip movie that has these long takes that are just chock full of dialogue going like all around. And it's just, it's so impressive uh, as a technical achievement in a different way because it's like, it's these actors performing their roles and it's just the camera is just like static on them. It's, it's really remarkable. Hmm. Um, in the story, I won't give anything away, but I will say that, um, it, it sounds, it sounds weird to say it. Well, I don't know if it sounds weird to say it. It's just, I'm really, uh, self-conscious about it. The sex scenes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So I, this movie was on my radar when it was out, like when it first came out in like 2001, 2002. Um, because I was, I wanted to be a film fan. <laughs> and so I wanted to see like all the prestigious films that I could. Um, uh, basically I was a pretentious douchebag. Right. Um, yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so was I. Yeah. Well, you know, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I know that if 14, 15, 16 year old Matt watched this movie, all of like the emotion of it would have flown right over my head. Um, and I know that I would not have seen like the, the elegance and the emotion and the, um, uh, tenderness and intimacy of the sex scenes for what they were. I would have been like, <laughs> she, she's, she's naked. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, but like I said, it's, it's like, it's some of the most, real and emotive like sequences of intimacy I've seen in a film. Wow. Um, just really, really amazing. And the, what the movie does is I, 
Um, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and put on my pretentious film, film lover hat. Um, the movie, um, uses this device, um, throughout, throughout the movie where the, it's interesting because the entire soundtrack goes out and it's replaced by a narrator hmm. who like this, this is really interesting because it, at first it was distracting. Apparently, apparently, and this is where the pretentious film nerd thing comes in. Apparently, it's a signature of the French New Wave uh, films. <laughs> okay. um, but I've never seen any New Wave yeah, films, so that's... so I can't speak with to authority on that. Yeah, that's just what I read on the internet. Okay, but anyway, uh, okay, hats off. Um, so <laughs> it was like really good, man. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, it it basically um takes out the soundtrack and replaces it with a narrator. And what the narrator is saying is like, it's giving context to the places that they're in and the people that they interact with. Like it's like there, there was one moment where they're driving down, down a road and then the narrator breaks in and he, he's like, if they, Oh, I can't remember exactly what it was. So this isn't like verbatim or this isn't, this is probably getting some details wrong, but it's like if they had, if they had traveled down this road 10 years earlier, they would have seen a, uh, a like horrific car accident that claimed the lives of these people. And, uh, then the, as he, as the narrator is saying this, the camera like slowly like zooms in on just a cross by the side of the road. Um, and it's like little details like that, that give background to the, the, the places that they're going and, and the, the people that they're interacting with. Hmm. It's, it's really a fascinating kind of framing device. I don't know if I'd say framing device, but, uh, an interesting narrative device because, I mean, the point of the movie, well, I mean, there are several points of the movie and I won't give anything away because it, it does end in a very, uh, interesting fashion, but, the kind of one of the big points of the movie is that these kids are like they just measure their achievements and their their self worth and everything against like how how uh how good at sex they are or how much sex they're having or mm. they're teenagers, teenagers they're hormonal teenagers yeah. so it's just it's an interesting juxtaposition because the entire trip they're like talking about like all they're talking about is sex and, and like they're like they're the code of their like brohood um and everything while this narrator is telling us about the this family that got killed in a car accident or um uh a tragic thing that happened over in this in this part of the country. Um and all of that is just it's it's just weaves this very intricate and beautiful tale that by the end of the movie, it's like, I was just kind of gobsmacked by it. Um, just, it was an emotional journey and you really get the connection that these three people form on this trip. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I really recommend Itu Mama Tambien. I didn't realize that we were doing a, a review of every one of his movies. I was going to say, um, yeah. <laughs> I, this t- completely got away from me. No, that's fine. Um, I, I'm glad to hear it. Cause I, yeah. uh, I've, I know about the movie forever, and I've heard it's like mm-hmm. a really, it's really good, and I, I just didn't know anything about it. So. Also, tiny boobs, boobs. Um, <laughs> just um, kidding. It's it's like very tasteful. Okay. Like it's it's really it's it's not gratuitous or anything. no. It's it's very much like central to the plot, and like it's just like I said, like like I'm I'm in a jokey mood tonight, but like I'm not joking at all when I say that it is one of the most um, realistic and authentic like like uh showcases of like intimacy uh, mm-hmm. on on screen that i've seen in the movie cool 
So I recommend that. But does the title know. translate to "and your mother" as well? Yes, that's what I thought. Or yes. your mother also. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And uh, there's there's a line of dialogue that kind of explains that. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and then, what do you think of like Prisoner of Azkaban and Gravity and and uh, Prisoner of Azkaban? I was a little let down because the book was so good. Oh yeah. And the, it was impossible for the movie to include everything. Right. And so it didn't obviously. And I was just like, eh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not one of my favorite Harry Potter movies, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's better than that's when the series started to get a lot better. Cause yeah. the first two movies are just so, they're so hard to watch. Right. Cause they're just so terrible. They <laughs> like, really the are. The kids are just so bad. Yeah. Um, but that's when it starts to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, gosh, what's the fourth one? Uh, Goblet, Goblet of, Fire. of Fire. That's when I was like, I think I might like Harry Potter. And that's after that, yes. that's when I read the books and I became a big fan. So, hmm. um, yeah, I, he, he, the movie wasn't bad. I haven't seen Prisoner of Azkaban in a while. Me neither. Um, but yeah, it, I, I don't know. I, I haven't watched any of the Harry Potter movies in a while. So same here. I need to revisit Retrospective? Okay. Oh shit. Uh, yeah, cool. <laughs> you just, you just unwittingly committed to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting because for the longest time, uh, I, I, I kind of assumed, uh, I knew that Alfonso Cuaron did one of the Harry Potter movies for some reason in my brain up until like the moment where I IMDb'd it, um, and everything. I kind of thought that it was Goblet of Fire, but it's, it's not, obviously. It's, yeah, it been. right. Um, right. yeah, and like having been more closely exposed to his, um, oeuvre, um, I want to revisit Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, me too. Um, and then Rapid Fire, Children of Men, and Gravity. Children of Men, one of the most impressive technical filmmaking films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, blows me away every time I see it. I stumbled across it on a movie channel within the last year, mm-hmm. and it was like an hour and a half into the movie, and I was like, ooh, the ending's coming up, and I watched <laughs> it. I sat there for like 35 <laughs> minutes and watched it. Nice. Just because it's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just... And, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting story and all that stuff, yeah. but you could have gotten some shitty director and producer team and mm. cast together and shot a very average or not interesting film. Right. But because of Alfonso Cuaron and what he and his mm. team did, it elevated that story to a huge, like a, a very artistic level. And yeah, I love that movie. I think I've only seen it like twice mm-hmm. and it's on my short list for my top 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been trying to like figure out a good time to like rewatch it. Cause I want to commit to like commit my full attention to the entire, like I don't want to be interrupted at all. Right. Um, so I, I, I might do that soon. <laughs> nice. Cause I, I want to double up and do that in gravity. Yeah. Um, and I remember gravity. You saw that in the theater like five times. I think it was a total of three times. Three times. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and it, was that your movie of the year that year? It was. I thought it yeah, was. I couldn't remember. Because I, re- I remember thinking like, man, that movie was so fucking good and like mm-hmm. I really liked it. But I think it was just my top five. I was I think a so. little surprised that you rated it like number yeah. one. I don't disagree with it at all. Right. But, uh, I just remember you reacting so strongly to it and I was like, yeah, it's super good. But yeah. And I don't even remember what my top movie was that year. I, um, it's funny because I just listened to the episode today. It was five years ago. I mean, um, uh, 2013, I, no, you know, I, it was it, was it 12 years of slave? 
Oh yeah, I think it was. Yeah, because I because I was thinking up until, um, yeah, 2013. Because I thought for some reason I thought that, that was 2014. Oh. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, and it, it's funny, peek behind the curtain, uh, listening to the 2013 episode, I remember that I talked about how I saw it three times in, in the theater, and one mm-hmm. of those times, like, I, like, first of all, I just, I, I was such a dork. <laughs> was? <laughs> Fired. <laughs> no, um, basically, I, cause I remember, like, there's a moment that, like, makes me cringe. First of all, 2013, like, that was the first year of the podcast and everything. Yeah. And then going back and listening to that year in review, I just, like, I'm, cause I like to go back and re-listen to the years in reviews just to, you know, nostalgia and everything and yeah. kind of get me primed for the, the current one. 2013. First of all, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing yeah. half the time. <laughs> right. Um, there's a run of time in that episode where I refer to like my dishonorable mentions like three in a row as like, oh, it's a really pretentious movie, <laughs> which is like the most like blanket, like nondescript thing you can do. Yeah. That is, the, it's the, like, if you're critiquing a movie and you're saying that it's just pretentious and that's all you're saying about it, you're saying more about your, like, I don't know, attitude toward it yeah. than the movie itself. And like, I just cringe every time I hear it. It reveals more about you than it does the it movie. It really does. Yeah. Um, and I like to think that I've grown quite a bit since then. Not to say that there aren't pretentious movies. Right. But, but if I'm saying three, like three different movies, yeah, describing them in rapid yeah. succession, that's uh, <laughs> showing a little bit of my insecurities. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, we were all, we were yeah. so young. Yeah. But also, I mentioned the three, <laughs> and this, I don't know, this doesn't have to be a long tangent, but I mentioned the three, <laughs> the three, three theater viewings. And one of them, I'm like, yeah, I saw it in an antique theater in Osgood, Indiana. And then I'm like, um, I never, I never told the story. I'm not going to tell the story, but I've, I've never like referenced this on the podcast, but I was like, uh, the, the theater, the, the, the theater experience or seeing the movie was really good. And like, I kind of, I don't think I chuckled, but I think you kind of like let a little chuckle go because I just said it just to get a rise out of you. Cause like, it was basically what happened was I saw it in a movie, th- in an antique movie theater with a girl that I was seeing at the time. And then that night we stopped seeing each other. <laughs> yeah. And like, it was a disaster. It was like, Oh, actually. If it's still live, go to uh, the Jeff Vibbert podcast. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. told that whole story on that podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, um, <laughs> I just, I hate, like, that was back when, you know, I put, you know, more personal references in there that are right. uh, just for me. But yeah, I mean. So gravity. <laughs> yeah. O- overall, with Alfonso Cuaron, I think he's obviously one of the best directors mm-hmm. uh creative filmmakers working today absolutely without question and i think he's going to go down as one of the greatest ever he totally he reminds me a lot of kubrick for mm-hmm. so many reasons but one of them one of the most glaring reasons is that he's very i think he's very choosy or he like he's not super prolific right um like stanley kubrick only made 16 movies. 16 movies in yeah. 40 years. Yeah. And um, if I may step in just real quick. Sure. His last movie, Eyes Wide Shut, was like 13 or 14 years after his previous movie, which right. was uh, Full Metal Jacket in 87. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he uh, Children of Men was like 2008 or 9, maybe? Yes. It was 2006, actually. 2006. And then... Yeah. Gravity, Gravity was seven years later. Yeah. And Roma's five years after that. So yep. I mean it's I think there's nothing wrong with 
making a movie every year or two. Right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think it's it speaks volumes to de- or like a, a filmmaker's dedication when there's a decent span of time in between the films that he or she right. might make. And and it's really it's it's fascinating because on one hand, and this is a this this is going to go us put us into an even longer tangent. I'm sorry, guys, but it's worth mentioning that um like when they have when filmmakers have these hiatuses that are like you know creative like they don't have this they're not part of the hollywood machine and where they're creating movies every year or every two years or something like they're just they're doing it at their own pace it seems right um it's like it, it's it's just it's it's a really good mark of um uh, creativity and and you know mastering a craft dedication yeah on the other side of the th- of the coin, and this is where we'll get into a small tangent, but uh, there's a movie on Netflix called Private Life with Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. Have you seen that at all or heard about that? Not familiar with it at all. You should you should try maybe try to make that one of the ones you watch before you make your list or okay. check it twice. It's from this year. Um, uh, it's sorry. from it's from this year, twenty eighteen. Yes, yes, it's on Netflix. Um, and why I bring it up is because it was written and directed by Tamara Jenkins, who previously did her last movie that she did was ten years ago, um, and it was The Savages with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, and I want to say Laura Linney, Marissa Tomei, Laura Linney. Yes, I, is that right? The interesting thing is, I remember you and I watching it. And then I don't remember much about it, but I remember really, really liking it. Um, really? Yeah, because this was back, like, this was back in like 2008. Right. Uh, this is pre-podcast, pre-blog, so I don't have a record of it. Mm. But I remember really liking it, and and it was a very good like drama. But the thing is, like, so she's a filmmaker who she also did. Um, uh, I've I've never seen it, but Slums of Beverly Hills back okay. in the late 90s with uh, oh, what is her name? I can see her face, but I don't know her name. Um, oh, it's gonna drive me crazy. But anyway, she, like, so she makes a movie, like, pretty much once every 10 years, but it's not because, it's not nece- well, I don't know if it's necessarily because, um, she doesn't have the, she doesn't have a story to tell within those 10 years. It's that she literally can't get a movie made because the movies that she makes are these very introspective, very raw, like character driven things. So private life, I should, I should have said <laughs> is about the struggles of a couple, um, trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So it is, they're going through IVF treatments. They're going through the adoption process and everything. And it's like, it's a really, it's a really remarkable window into the relationship of these two people who are basically the, l- I, I don't want to say the love that they share, but like the, the intimacy that they share is just being just drained by this whole process. Mm, yeah. So like, just to give an example, like the opening scene is Catherine Hahn is in bed and it, like her, her pelvis is kind of exposed and she's, she's got on like panties and it's like, like in the first like 30 seconds, it's like, it's, you know, you kind of think and you hear them kind of murmuring and stuff and you kind of think like, oh, this is like an intimate, like, like they're going to have sex or whatever, but it's not like he, he has to stick her with like an injection for the IVF. Mm, yeah. So it's just like, that's a good, like metric or, um, a good, uh, um, mission statement for the movie. Like this is what the movie is. Hmm. Um, and it's a really interesting movie, but anyway, it's just, it's an interesting kind of juxtaposition of, 
Tamara Jenkins who makes a movie every 10 years, but it's because she makes these movies that aren't sellable. And like she could make, I heard on a podcast, like this is all secondhand, but I heard like on a podcast that she did like an interview at some point where she was like, she could make like a rom-com or she can make like, like a comedy or something and she can turn those out, turn those out, but that's not a movie that she wants to make, but she needs to struggle to find financing for these intimate, like very, very, really good dramas that, um, yeah. So anyway. Um, that sounds really good. Yeah, yeah, I, I recommend it. Um, nice. I have it downloading right now. Oh, sweet! Yeah. Nice. I've been doing that a lot. Lately. Oh, really? Uh, Netflix. It's so nice. aw- that's such a great feature. It is. That's how I watched part of Roma. Oh yeah. Um, and some other stuff. <laughs> that is like the worst way you can watch Roma. <laughs> it is, but it still looks really good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I just watch it on my lunch break at work or stuff like nice. that. Um, that's what I do at work while I work. Um. <laughs> Um, but I use Amazon cause, uh, mm. lower, um, file size. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Roma, <laughs> should we kind of talk? <laughs> yeah. About yeah. That's what we're here for. Yeah. So, okay. So I had some pretty, I don't know, well-managed expectations for it. Cause I'd heard like a lot of buzz around it. Um, but I didn't know much about it. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know anything really about the movie itself. I just knew that, hey, Alfonso Cuaron made this black and white movie about Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do it. Um, so I was really excited to watch it. And how did you feel going into it? It kind of came out of nowhere and hit me really quickly mm-hmm. because I didn't really know anything about it. And then like I heard about it on NPR and like right. he was on NPR, uh, Alfonso Cuaron was on NPR talking about it, and I was like, wow, it sounds really personal to him. And I yeah. was like, wow, okay, I'm going to need to see this. And I was like, holy shit, it's on Netflix? Yeah. And like, it just blew me away. I was like, damn, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to watch this thing. And I, um, so I had like hardly any expectations. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It seemed kind of, it seemed kind of strange. So I wasn't, I wasn't as excited for it as I was for Gravity or Children of Men when they sure. came out. Um, cause those were, I don't want to use the word conventional, much more conventional films. This is a very niche film. They were uh, more marketable. More marketable. That's a good like, way, a good way to Children of Men was, you know, sci-fi drama. Dystopic, yeah. Yeah, kind of a genre movie. And then Gravity was this special effects spectacle that was also like a genre movie. Right, right. So, yeah, this seemed a little less accessible. And I was, mm-hmm. I wasn't as excited for it. And I wasn't, um, I didn't expect a ton out of it. Right. Um, so my expectations weren't low or anything. I just, it just, I didn't even have time to build up any anticipation of it sure. or anything. Um, so my ex, I didn't have, I didn't have very much expectations going mm. into it. So nice. Yeah. What about you? Um, yeah, my expectations were pretty low. I, I mean, not low, but I just knew that I don't, I don't know how to phrase it. Like I was, it was more the name recognition of Alfonso Cuaron than actual, like, excitement about the plot yeah yeah definitely. Um, because like i even said on this podcast like i was like hey uh alfonso Cuaron has his his next movie after gravity which was my movie of the year mm-hmm. so clearly this could be a very substantial movie for me um and so my expectations were heightened just sight unseen mm-hmm. um yeah and yeah and so let's go into our kind of broad thoughts on it what what did you think overall of um 
of of of, Gra- of <laughs> Roma. <laughs> uh, it was very hard for me to get into this movie. Uh, yeah, I think it was the the lack of plot of the film. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert: There's not really a plot. It's just you just kind of follow these characters, right? Um, and that that really drug it down for me, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And I think it's I hate to say it's a shortcoming of the film because I think it might just be a perspective thing. Like I should have focused more on the movie, and I don't know. Like I watched it. I watched the the movie is two hours and fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. I watched it broken up into like three different sections, and I don't like doing that. But just with crazy hectic work schedule and life schedule, that's the best way I can watch films now. Sure, I did the same thing with Hold the Dark, and it didn't. Oh, yeah. It didn't really affect my opinion mm-hmm. of that movie. So, um, man, that's crazy. Like, I know. Yeah, I don't like to watch movies that yeah. way, but it's a like a necessity at this point. Right. That right. sucks. So, yeah, it, it hasn't been too bad so far, but mm-hmm. I think it did affect my personal reaction to this, mm-hmm. to, to Roma specifically, because it, it is the kind of movie where it doesn't, it doesn't give layups to the, to the audience. You have to pay attention. You have to right. follow it. It's, you know, it's, first of all, it's in a foreign language, you know, that yeah. that's an automatic obstacle, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I can't. I don't think I can really fully call call that a shortcoming. I just think it was something that I was unable to overcome as a viewer, I see. and so that drug it down for me. Um, it's a movie that forces you to alley oop it. <laughs> nice sports, uh, yeah. Sports said, with a Z. He said layup. I did. Yeah, that's a common term though. Um. Yeah, anyway, no, I get. What you're Anyways, but, but but the like I said, I watched it in like three <clears throat> different sections. The third section, the last about forty minutes or so really hooked me and I for whatever ironically I was watching it on my phone in my work vehicle while I was eating lunch <laughs> again wow. not a not a good setting to watch right. film but it hooked the shit out of me and really really got me and I was like man I bet the other two thirds of this movie <laughs> were also pretty gripping if I had sure. been in the right frame of mind for it man. um so I and again it's one of those things where I just need to watch it again but mm. It's so, you know, two hours and 15 minutes, black and white movie with no plot. That's like a, you got to be in the, fr- you got to right frame of mind for it. And yeah. I think I kind of screwed the pooch on that a little bit. Um, but I think it's a damn good movie mm-hmm. for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, and spoiler alert, it's going to be mentioned in the end of the year episode for me. Ah. Not exactly sure where it's going to be yet, but I'm going to have it in there. Okay. Um, because there are so many Alfonso Coran, brings all his skill to this film. Yeah. And and it's it's on full display. Mm-hmm. And if you're a fan of his work, I think despite the fact that it's a difficult story to experience mm-hmm. because of how he chose to tell it, it's still a great story and it's obviously super personal to him. Yeah. And that that drips off the screen really well. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's I think I, I I really kind of wish I would have researched some of the political things that were going on in the background Me of the too. film. Um, I I, I should have looked that up. I don't know what politically was happening mm. in Mexico City in the 1970s, yeah. uh, but clearly it was something pretty dramatic. Yeah, um, it was a tumultuous time. I right. don't know why. Yeah, but it was either. a tumultuous time. Um, and I kind of like the fact that he didn't. You know that stuff wasn't explained. Yeah, it, it didn't need to be. Yeah, and that and that kind of harkens back to some of the stuff in like his past movies. Like this is his first movie in Mexico since Itu Mama Tambien. Yeah, and like there's stuff in that that's like all like 
kind of uh, just background like yeah. it's it's just it's not he doesn't he doesn't hone in on it he doesn't focus on it it's like there's stuff that we like the characters pass by that went over my head until i read reviews right um so the same thing with roma is that like there's stuff it's it's more integral to the plot mm-hmm. but it doesn't he doesn't like hold our hands or anything he's just like we're living in this world with the characters yes and that's something that i personally really appreciated mm-hmm. um because it just lends such an authenticity to to the story being told and right when you're doing a movie that's when you're when you're telling a story that is this year in the life of a character mm-hmm. slice of life movie that's just basically um buck's traditional narrative and just kind of has this basically we're starting at one point in this in this character's life and then we're ending at this point in the character's life and we're just witnessing how that character changes over time. Right. Um it's not contingent on plot elements or anything like that to an extent. I mean there's the drama of human everyday human life is present in the movie, but it is a slice of life movie. And when you have that, it could detract the focus if you like pause and say like, Oh, there's this revolution that's going on, or there's this thing that's going on. This is why the, the protesters are doing this. And this is why this, this is happening like that. Just will put the brakes on the movie and you'll end up stepping in dog shit the whole time. (laughs) Um, yeah but but yeah and um yeah should i go ahead and go into my yeah and it's such well i I just wanted to mention it i think Mm -hmm. the um kind of the classism displayed in the film Mm -hmm. is again something that's so unique but it's like i don't think it requires a lot of it's something that they didn't need to explain again right because i think i don't know if this is 100 percent correct i I was trying to look it up real quick but i think Mm -hmm. Alfonso Coran is, he was born and raised in Mexico, mm-hmm. but I think he's ethnically Spanish. Like, I think his parents are Spanish. Oh, I, I don't know. Um, from Spain. Like, if you, in the film, some of the children are like blonde haired white kids. Right. And like, that's, that's a more common characteristic of ethnically Spanish people. Mm-hmm. And there's two, there's a disclaimer or like a thing at the beginning of the film that says in the subtitles, like, these subtitles are Mexican Spanish. Yeah, it's like uh, and the other Spanish, or, right? It's like it's like Spanish and then Mextec or something. Right. And I was like, I I've never heard that word before. I don't yeah. know what that is. Well, like S- Spain Spanish, like the Spanish that they speak in Spain, mm-hmm. is pretty much a unique, somewhat unique dialect from Spanish that's spoken in the rest of the world. I see. Like in Mexico, Central and South America, it's it's different. There's it's mm-hmm. like a basically a different dialect and. There's influence of the native population on the Spanish language, like the Aztec or Inca languages I kind see. of play a um a part in the, the language, I guess. I don't fully understand it. Um super white right now. <laughs> um so yeah, that's I, I think that was for lack of a better word, kind of a fun thing to see. Like there's a part where one of the kids is talking to the to the maid, and he says, "Stop talking like that," because she's talking the oh yeah mex the Mexican dialect, yeah. if you will, and um she can speak both. Obviously, that's not a huge difference, obviously, right. but um they're both Spanish. But I was like, "That's," I just didn't realize that was a thing, and I didn't realize there was such a prominent Spanish, ethnically Spanish yeah. population in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Um. That was, and, and there's a, obviously a big class, 
disconnect between the local population and the ethnically Spanish people. Right. Kind of an interesting, an interesting aspect of the story that was sort of fun to uncover. Um, I wanted to mention that in the, before the spoiler, spoiler parts. Yeah. Um, totally, yeah. totally agree. Yes. But yeah, I'm sorry. Your broad thoughts. I didn't mean oh, to. No, 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 you're fine. That was great. That. I was going to, I was going to make a stupid joke and be like, like after you were done with that whole thing, I was just going to be like, yeah. And how pretty was the movie? <laughs> uh, it was so pretty. We have to talk about that. Oh my God. Ser- Jesus. Seriously. But, um, yeah, my broad thoughts is this movie was, uh, it's going to be discussed with me. Um, okay. In the next, in the next episode. Me too. Um, uh, Itu Mama Tamian. <laughs> Itu um, Mama Tamian. But it's, it's a movie that I was really, it took a while for me to really get into it. Um, much like, much like you were saying, mm-hmm. I watched it in one sitting, um, took breaks cause like I got food and, and like went to the bathroom and stuff. Right. Um, uh, I think also at one point I kind of took like a little power nap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I watched it at like 2 a.m. Happens. Um, yeah. But anyway, so some things that struck me were the technical achievements in this movie. This is pure Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah. Like it is his, he has this creative arsenal at his disposal that is, has been prevalent in all of his movies of his that I've seen. And this is like the height of his, of his creative output at this point. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's, I'm, I'm so just taken aback by how, um, just how just talented he is. Yeah. And just the idea, like how he can capture what he captures and the way that he can capture it. Like this was also, I think I read that this was the first movie that he was actually the cinematographer on too. Oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So he, yeah. So he wrote, directed, shot the movie. Um, in like, it's just, it's so in, add to all that, the fact that it's based on his own memories and his personal experience, not his personal experience, but the experience of someone that was close to him. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really, it really has that just emotional tug at it. Yes. Um, and there, there were moments in the movie, like early on, like there's a moment where Cleo is turning off lights in like throughout like the, the house that she's the, the maiden and the camera is going like 360 around following her. And like, I'm sitting there watching it and like, I'm just like this, it's a woman turning off lights. Right. And I'm like, and it's like, it's still like the most captivating thing that I can think of. Yeah. And I was like, and maybe it's because it was shot in black and white. Maybe that's why I had this thought, but I was like, this, I think this has the potential to be like the kind of movie that here in 30 years, like people are going to be like, Oh, that's a classic. That's, that's like, like a genuine classic. Like, the way that people talk about like Casablanca or, or like, um, Herbie fully loaded. Um, <laughs> gone with the wind, Godfather. Gone with the wind, Godfather. Right. Um, but yeah, it like just like actual like classic, like prestigious, yeah. like filmmaking that has like a message, not even necessarily a message, just, and that may also be part of it that, like I said, it's this slice of life kind of thing that it's, one of the great things about film for me 
and storytelling in the film and television medium is that it tells stories about human beings and yeah. about who we are and what we do and the lives we lead and everything. And like, that's why there's such a vast array of types of stories to tell because everyone's different. And like, there's so many different like ways that stories can go and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, this is just so, it felt so genuine and so like true. Um, and just it, it felt like it felt like I was transported. As hackney as this sounds, it feels like I was transported. Absolutely. Um, and it's just like I was experiencing it with the characters, even though it wasn't like in terms of just sheer drama and everything, it wasn't like it wasn't a propulsive narrative or yeah. anything. But just like living with these characters and like getting like they're all like fully fleshed out characters in my opinion. Um but it's also like we're we're just peering into a window into their lives, yeah. and like that's something that I found just endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came across really well. Yeah, I think um, to speak to the technical aspects, which we could fucking talk about it for an hour, yeah. um, just the technical parts of it. But mm-hmm. what what he does for me, especially in this movie, mm-hmm. is that. He uses wide lenses, very open shots, not a lot of close-ups in this movie. Right. But the amount of detail yes. that they are able to achieve in such a big screen, like mm-hmm. this th- this movie completely represents the idea of the quote-unquote big screen. Mm-hmm. Like it's the difference, that's the difference between television and movies. Like this this movie demonstrates that so well. Because the amount of detail that he can fit onto this giant screen, this huge take, mm-hmm. the lens is just unbelievable. Like it's it's unbelievable that it makes you appreciate. It's weird, but like it's we've had movies for almost a hundred for like a hundred years now, and it's mm-hmm. like we're sort of desensitized to how amazing that is. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think people who are huge movie fans and like you know the movie theater is a sacred thing, and like. Mm-hmm they still have some of that majesty, but even people like us, we see something like this and it's like movies are just fucking insane. What they, (laughs) what they can achieve with Mm -hmm. that camera. It's a little box with a lens on it. And Mm -hmm. just like what they can cram into that lens just blows me away. And I think Alfonso Cuaron is, I think he's up there on par with Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And I, gosh, I can't think of Kubrick is just the best example to me, but right. I mean, a modern, Christopher Nolan or um, P.T. Anderson. P.T. Anderson's a good yeah. example. Yeah, I always forget about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just I, I, I mean, there's specifics I want to get into, but mm-hmm. I don't want that they, they'd be spoilers. But um, but yeah, just I don't know. I, 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 he is he is super talented when it comes to that because not a lot of people can achieve that, or they kind of go with a sort of easier route. Um, by doing a lot of close-ups mm-hmm. or a lot of cutting, uh, quick yeah. cuts, none of that in this right. movie. Um, there are frames where there are literally hundreds of people on in the frame. Yes. How how do you do that? That just blows me away. Absolutely. Like Peter Jackson is an amazing filmmaker. Right. But all of that shit was CGI when he did. It. <laughs> exactly. I'm not shitting on the Two Towers or right. Lord of the Rings. Great movies. Mm-hmm. But he's not Alfonso Cuaron, yeah. Filming the, like 
Yeah, I can go on and on about like that. Like the technical, and we can talk in more detail and spoilers, but like the, like there's one scene in particular involving a furniture store. Yes. That we'll talk about in spoilers, but the, the technical achievement of that sequence alone, that single shot take, mm-hmm. the way that it, like the, basically the camera pans from one end to the other and, and we see like so much is captured in the camera. Mm hmm. As it's panning in one continuous, like, take. Um, the way, like, the amount of structure to construct that sequence yeah. is, like, mind-blowing to me. The logistics the of The logistics. It. Like, yeah. getting everything timed perfectly. Getting everything queued up. Getting everything ready to go. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, like, it boggles the mind. I don't understand yeah. how, how this is possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... It's just, it's, it's really remarkable. It is. Um, there's one that yeah. I'll bring up, uh, in spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. so please go watch the movie and listen yes, to our spoilers. Please do. It's, it's one of those scenes that I think mm-hmm. in my book, it's, it's one of those things that I'm going to remember forever. Yes. Because of the technical aspects of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the the naked dude naked dude doing martial arts, right? How did you know? Yeah, well, I just I know you so well. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, overall, yeah. I mean, is there anything we else we can say in broad terms? Jeez. Well, I always give my ratings. I gave it three and a half on Letterbox, mm. uh, which is a conservative rating, and I gave it eight on IMDb. So okay, um, I gave it four on Letterbox, I believe. Um, and I will say that I, and kind of, I was reading my, my review a little bit, but, um, something I said in, and just to reiterate it, cause we covered it pretty extensively or this point that I'm going to make extensively. Um, the movie is, it's going to sound like kind of a backhanded thing, but it's for the beginning part of it. It's not like a very compelling movie, right? but like the way that I put it in my review is I said something to the effect of it really makes like it, it makes you wait for the emotional haymakers that it gives you. Yes. <laughs> but when that emotional, like the emotional beats hit, it's like, it's, it's like, uh, like if you're invested in it or if you've, you've been following it and everything, it's like, it's a haymaker. Like it's a punch to the face. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's just, it's really remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really remarkable. Um, <laughs> Roma. Roma. Uh, but yeah, so should we go into spoilers? Yeah, let's go into spoilers. Okay, cool. So I'm going to play a clip from the trailer, um, and then we're going to go into spoilers. Also, I think that there's like a spider or something that's distracting me. Um, Tiny, will you kill it for me? I don't know what it is. Where? Uh, it's a little dot on the wall. Oh, is that Okay, we are spoilers on for Roma. Yes. So, uh, I, there are big moments that I want to want us to talk about before we go into like the detail. I do want to mention that there's a couple of times off the top of my head. There's probably more that the movie either harkens back or pays homage, kind of sometimes overtly pays homage to Quran's past work. <laughs> like, yeah. 
the movie with the two astronauts mm-hmm. like that is that is gravity like totally it's even down to like the astronauts jetpack like mm-hmm. that's literally gravity yeah um and then also the stillbirth <laughs> reminded me of children of men a yes bit. yes it did uh let's talk about that yes it was absolutely heartbreaking yes which blew me away i was i was, wasn't expecting to react that way to it but um same here it was just so stark mm-hmm. such a very stark cold. scene yeah very cold like, clinical yes yeah Ugh. like just the the i don't want to say heart like okay first of all that doctor has the worst bedside manner i've ever seen <laughs> a little bit yeah um but like it's it was just really heart-wrenching like yeah and just the the kind of dry monotone way that i i read that i read that quran like had actual like doctors play those roles oh really like not actors just doctors to get a sense of authenticity wow and it was just like maybe that's what accounts for like kind of the dry delivery (laughs) yeah but it's also like i feel like that's intentional because it's it's such a I don't know what word I want to use to describe it, but like such a, such a dark, cold, like thing. Yeah. Um, like, do you want to hold the baby and then we need to, we need to get it prepared and like they, oh, it was heartbreaking. They gave her like 10 seconds to say goodbye. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck, man? Yeah. Like, and like, it comes as such a surprise. Like, oh, that's after, <laughs> that's after the big furniture store sequence. Right. Um, and it, it just comes so quick. And it's like, it's emotionally devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it's so, oh, it, it really tore me apart. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. It so. really gripped me into the movie because like that mm. department store scene, mm. I was like, oh shit. And like, yeah. I started, I started to get into the movie more at that point, And then that, the stillboard, stillbirth happened and I was like, yeah. oh my God. And I was just like into it from that point yeah. forward. That's the part that really grew up to me. So mm-hmm. it's, oh, like, I wish, I, I wish I had watched it more recently because I watched it like a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, but it, it's just such uh, the emotion. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, hang on. I'm going to take that again. <laughs> um, the devastation that we feel like doesn't, like, we, and then we follow Cleo after that and, she's like affected by it, but it's not like she it's not like an overdone thing it's like like again it's like the slice of life thing like she's mm-hmm. going about her daily routine she's a very muted person anyways yeah just very yeah internal and doesn't say much and, yeah and did you have a problem like did you have a problem with that at all like did that like make it seem like she was less engaging as a character i don't and i i don't want to sound like stereotypical here but like mm-hmm. i feel like that's kind of a characteristic of mexican people they're just well i mean i was gonna interrupt you and say of maids <laughs> oh god um, i didn't mean that no. but no like like i think i i don't know like maybe i'm just i just i don't know enough mexican people but like i i wonder i think that i feel like a lot of the people i know who are mexican are very internalized and they don't mm. they don't necessarily they're not big chip on their shoulder kind of people. Right. They're just very kind of driven and kind mm-hmm. of keep your head down and get through. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe internalized that's, emotions. Yeah. Like they don't, maybe it's a cultural thing. Like they're not, they don't they wear don't, their hearts on their sleeves. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I thought maybe I don't know if that's what he was going for in the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know, but um, I feel like that was sort of that was a characteristic of Cleo that I sort of picked up on or kind of understood, I guess, mm-hmm. is that she just didn't seem like even in highly uh, tense or emotional moments, mm-hmm. she would not be tense or emotional because that's just kind of how she is. Yeah. But cultural also, thing. Yeah. Know. And also I think that part of it is also that she's at her job. <laughs> like, right. Like that's a little, like there is that kind of, kind of class class system there. Right. Like she is, she's a servant and, yeah. and to the family. And like, she is aware of her station within the culture. Like even when I think it was Furman, um, uh, as well say more like vermin am i right right um but he like he calls her like servant and like, yeah. like d- as a disparaging remark right and it's like she works she works hard like she yeah and it's like that's that's the one thing and we're skipping around a little bit but the the big moment at the end where she saves the children in 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 the in the at the beach mm-hmm. um first of all the mom i mean come on the hell like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just, first of all, that sequence is like, just, God, it's that, amazing. That's the sequence I wanted to mention. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, the, oh my, like, again, the timing, like, get, like, going back and forth and, and getting it and then, like, having it all come together, like, with, like, perfectly framed with the sun. Yeah. In the back, like, how the, how? You can't control the sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe he can. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Um, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, but the thing that really struck me was like, this is like the moment where like, she's like, she's, they're recognizing that she's a member, she's a part of the family. She's, and she's like finally letting, letting it out, like saying that she didn't want the kid and like, she, Mm -hmm. she wanted the kid to, she didn't want the kid to be born or or whatever. And like, I think, I can't remember exactly what she said, but the moment where they're like, we love you and you're, you're with us and everything. Like I was like, I was super like affected by that. Yeah. I thought that that was such a beautiful sequence. I agree. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Despite all their differences and despite what I think separates them culturally, Mm -hmm. there, there's, there's something more there than just, but also at the same time, I think, I was a little shitty at the kids at the way they just treated her like a maid. And I was yeah. like, she's more than that, you know? And, but they, they progress to that level. Like, right. Um, they eventually get to the point where they recognize right. her as well. Absolutely. And like yeah. we, and we get those little like nice scenes where she's like putting the kids to bed and they're like, I love you, Cleo. Yeah. She's like, I love you too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought that that was nice. And also the whole subplot with the father leaving mm-hmm. and like how we, cause we're kind of, from the perspective of Cleo and, and yeah. the help as it were. Right. Um, like we're not getting the full story. We're only getting bits and pieces, little fragments here and there. Yeah. It's just, it's really, uh, it lends to the authenticity of the storytelling. Right. And it's to add or to, uh, break down the perspective even more. I think this, this screenplay and story was written by Alfonso Cuaron mm. of memories of him as a child. Right. And, use the word authenticity earlier. Mm. I think it's, he captured that perspective so well because I think, I feel like as a child, 
you miss a lot of those things. Yeah. When there's tension or drama between your parents, like mm. I feel like you get little snippets. Right. And like in the movie, the mother is always so she's always so on the go, just boom, boom, boom. She's mm. always like moving quickly. And I feel like that's how parents are with their kids. It's like yeah. it's kinda like, um, okay, let's go do this now. Let's do this now. Okay, now we gotta move on to this. And it's like, you don't see your parents when they're relaxing right. or anything. And so we we only get snippets or pieces of the issues between the mother and the father. Right. And that's, again, it felt very authentic because as a kid, you don't, you don't understand why your parents are getting divorced, really. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and the way it's written is so evocative of that because... Like the scene where he's leaving and like we're like from our perspective, it's like, oh, he's going on another business trip. And then she like very passionately and, and uh, uh, desperately like clings to him and, and kisses him and everything. It's like, oh, there there's something deeper here. Yeah. And the next scene, it's like, oh, he's out of the picture. It's very subtle. Yeah. It's just it's really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and this is more just surface level everything. I was 100 percent expecting that dog to get killed. Oh really? Uh, yes. Like I was, pr- I was like, I was preparing myself for it. Oh. Um, cause like I, I felt like, oh my God, like every time they're like, oh, I have to hold the dog and everything. I'm like, the dog's going to run away and it's going to get killed and I'm going to cry. Oh. Um, but yeah, but it's more just the authenticity and everything. Right. You know, um, not to keep dwelling on the technical aspects of the film, right. but that the scene where, uh, sort of the climax where Cleo saves the kids from mm. the ocean. How the fuck <laughs> did they do that? Because the camera, if you just think logistically, if you're on the set watching them film that, how did they take that camera from the beach to probably 70, 100, maybe even 150 feet out on the water? Mm without you noticing any kinds of transition whatsoever. Like, was it on a boom that was sticking 150 feet out onto the ocean? Did they pass a camera between two guys? A guy was on a boat? I think they had some kind of rig set up okay. specifically for that sequence. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm think, just curious, yeah. like, how physically, how did they do that? I agree completely. It's amazing to transition from land to water, and you don't, you cannot see a transition at all. Yeah. Like, how, how did that camera move from land to water. Mm. I don't know how they did that. Yeah. So flawlessly. Yep. I was just like, that's, and it reminds me of, um, uh, the film, the secret in their eyes. Oh yeah. I the actual, the actual Argentinian one, not mm-hmm. the American remake. Um, there's a scene where they're at a soccer. There's a, a very famous scene that's filmed at a soccer stadium during a mm-hmm. soccer game. And there's a foot chase. Mm-hmm. And one of the people being chased jumps, from like the bleachers or the grandstands down Mm -hmm. like two stories and the camera follows him. It's all one take. Like I remember that movie came out eight, 10 years ago, maybe more than that. Mm -hmm. And like, that's, you know, when I was, I had developed as a movie fan and I remember seeing that and like, Holy shit. How did they do that? (laughs) I still don't know, Mm -hmm. but I just, I remember that's one of the first times I ever remember thinking how do, how do you physically get a camera to, to do that and capture right. that? That's just, it seems, it doesn't seem impossible, but it just seems so difficult. Like, how do you do that? I don't know how you, 
Just that they just toss a camera off the side of the. How do they do that? It's just amazing right. to me. Um, I really need to see that movie. It, it reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie is very good. Yeah, you might say that the way that they filmed that was their own secret in their eyes. Um, sure. I'm sorry, guys. Sure, you said that. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, it's Argentinian. I think I think so. I think it is. Anyways. I don't know. Um. um so yeah, that yeah. that that just blew me away. Um. And there's a couple examples of. Yeah, like we we mentioned all the technical stuff earlier. It's yeah, it's just, incredible. Oh god, like it, <laughs> the scene where she confronts Furman at yes. the at the training place or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, which again, that's another like that whole everything going on there. I'm like, I was in the I over my head. Right, right. But just the fact, like, like one single, like, how? Why does he do this to himself? I know. <laughs> like, it's, I I don't understand. Like. And he makes it look so like flawless yeah. and so fluid. just fluid. Like Furman is talking to Cleo. Cleo's talking to Furman. He, they have their argument and everything. And then he runs to the, to the truck and then he jumps on the back of the truck. And it's like, I mean, it's super far away. Right. It's like a hundred yards away. It's like a hundred yards away. They're having a conversation. They they have to time like when the truck's going, how fast it's going, how fast he can run, just to time it perfectly to get him on the truck and get him out of the frame. Right. Like I, it's just it's mind boggling to me. Like yeah. it is, and I think that that's one of the biggest strengths of the movie is the way that these these types of moments occur. Um, and it's kind of a, a kind of subtle thing uh, to an extent, but like when we have these long like very gripping um single takes that so much details in every like inch of the frame as the camera's moving as the actors are performing it's with no interruptions that just makes it feel so real mm-hmm. like it just feels like the the most authentic like lived in world and it's just yeah insane to me it's like a real event that someone just happened to show up with a camera to film yeah. that's what it feels yeah that's what oh, it feels yeah. like it's um unbelievable and it's it's just it's so just gorgeous yeah it's like the yeah. movie is far and away one of the most beautiful movies i've seen mm-hmm. um yeah i agree yeah. yep i agree and it's got to be difficult to film a period piece in a mm. different country oh yeah absolutely um yeah especially a city like Mexico City that's right it's a very old city mm-hmm. and it's you know it, it they probably don't want i don't know it's it's probably hard to to transport a city like that 40 years in the past right it's probably just difficult i don't know yeah. the yeah another thing that he doesn't make it easy on himself right yeah also apparently roma is the name of like the neighborhood right the neighborhood in mexico yeah. city yeah yep um yeah is it, what, what else can we say? Oh boy, I don't know. I think um, we we heaped quite a bit of praise on it. We did, yeah, and I and I feel like we did just. I know that we we kind of wanted to keep this one short because yeah, tired. Yeah. Um. Sleepy. But yeah, overall, just this movie was like I said, it's it's a movie that the more I sat with it, like after it ended, like the more it stuck with me, and that's yeah. like one of the best the best things that I can say about a movie is that Absolutely. it stays with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like it, I'm, I'm really excited to see it again at some point. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to rewatch it before 
we do our year in review episode. Cool. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that you have to like digest mm-hmm. and sit with. Uh, at yeah. least, at least in my opinion, I I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I think that'll do it for our review of Roma. Yep. Um Can't wait to see what Alfonso Cuarón does when we're in our forties. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Yeah. So we should wind down. Yes. And do some potpourri. Totally. Yeah. So for our first time listeners, potpourri is a section of the podcast uh, where we talk about whatever we want, anything we're looking forward to, anything we've watched lately, anything we want, as long as it smells good. Tiny, I have two things. You have Uno things. Correct. Okay. So for the first, for my first potpourri segment, I'm going to bring up All Summer's End. Are you aware of this movie at all? Not at all. Okay. So it was on, um, on Amazon Prime, I have a, uh, add-on subscription of stars Hmm. and the weird thing is i don't know if all summers end i don't know if it's a uh technically a 2018 movie or 2017 um but it had like it's like it premiered in 2017 like in a uh um i think in a film festival but it had like a more wide release like like I think on IMDb, the release release dates are that uh, like it was released in 2018 in Poland. Hmm. So it's not like it doesn't have like a uh, firm release date. I think that that was a, this one. Anyway, All Summer's End is plot description according to IMDb is after a summer prank goes awry, a teenage boy falls in love while grappling with his guilty conscience. So this movie stars uh, Caitlin Deaver, which I. Th- feel like I saw her in something, but I have no idea what I saw her in. Uh, she was in uh, Men, Women, and Children, and she's been in other things, but nothing that I've really seen. Yeah, I recognize her. Yeah. I recognize her from television. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I can't piece together where... She was really good in her episode of Justified. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Oh, I guess she had a recurring role. I've only, oh, okay. I only watched the first, uh, first season of that show. I see. Uh, she was in The Spectacular Now, Short Term 12. Uh, she's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, oh, she was in Party Down. Maybe that's how I know her. Hmm. Um, yeah, that must be it. But anyway, uh, it also stars uh, Ty Sheridan. Oh, okay. And so basically Ty Sheridan plays the, the teenage boy. Um, this movie was like the average rating on like Letterboxd is, is not good. Uh, average rating on on imdb is 5.9 mm-hmm. i feel like that's criminally underrated um the movie is uh really plays into the types of movies i love it's like coming of age movie um with kind of a twist where the conflict of the of like the young love storyline is that uh ty sheridan and his friends do this prank that have terrible that has terrible consequences so ty sheridan has to wrestle with whether or not to tell uh his uh, grace the his the caitlin deaver character um it's it's a really unique movie in that sense so like it, and um while the script had some shortcomings like um like one of the one of his friends in the movie is just really uh over the top like like he's like kind of the of the group, like they're, the group are all, they're complacent in this, in this prank. And it's like this one, like one of the three of them is like, 
like very aggressively like, oh no, we need to do this, do it this way and this stuff. And it's like he's playing it a little too over the top and a little too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't really fit the tone of the movie per se. But um, the movie employs a narrative device that is straight out of Stand By Me. <laughs> okay. Uh, so basically uh, the frame story, I guess, is uh, um, well, I guess Stand By Me and uh, – uh, the Sandlot to an extent, but, um, it's voiceover narration from the older version of Ty Sheridan's character, uh, played by Pablo Schreiber. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So he's basically telling the story as we're seeing it and it's giving some, like, it's very like kind of brooding, like, like, you know, uh, grief really brings out this and someone and stuff. And it's very like <laughs> kind of, I don't know, kind of, a bunch of like metaphorical kind of stuff, but it's like, he does a good job with it. And it like, in a weird way, it really, um, adds, adds some texture to the, to the drama that's unfolding because we're seeing Ty Sheridan's character, just internalizing all of this anguish and guilt. And he's getting in deeper with this girl. And like, she's in a position where she's like, she's vulnerable and she needs like, she needs a, a, that connection with him. And it's like, it's a very unique kind of concept or, uh, uh, plot line for the, for these two characters. Hmm. Um, but some of the shortcomings that like, I felt like the initial relationship with them wasn't really that strong. <laughs> like maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but the f- opening scene, like he, like she meets him and then like they have a conversation and then she's like, what would you say if I told, and they're both like 16, what would you say if I told you that I think you might be my first true love? I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of a sweet, like, young love story with, with this dramatic kind of twist to it. And I will say that as, like, as kind of mixed as I was on, like, the, the execution of the movie, it ends in a way that I was like, this, this puts a nice bow on it. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't lead you down the path to, like, the, um, to, to a cliched ending or anything. It actually says something about, you know, human experience and, and young love and, and, uh, how your actions can have lasting effects on, on you and, and your inactions as well. Okay. Um, so yeah, and it's, it's just, it's, it's a really solid movie. It's called All Summer's End. I saw it on Amazon with the stars add on subscription. Uh, but I definitely recommend it. Nice. You can also just rent it on Amazon as well. Yes. And also read my review on Letterboxd. I was actually really proud of it. Nice. And I had a small, like, uh, I had some, some heart palpitations because <laughs> I tried to post my review on Letterboxd and, uh, it wasn't like the server was down. So I copied the, copied the review knowing that I was just going to back out of the, the thing. And like, I was really, like, actually, like, really, really proud of this review. That's gotten no likes so far. Go like it on Letterboxd, guys, please. <laughs> like, that really hurts. But, um. You sound like Kayla from eighth grade. I don't. <laughs> are you guys QG? sharing the. Yeah. Um, are you guys sharing these? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways. Good gee, God. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, I was really, I was really proud of, uh, my review and I did get it posted. So go like it on there. Sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, I think you would, you would dig it. Okay. Um, and what is your appropriate tiny? 
Uh, my potpourri is I'm a season behind, but uh, the wife and I just watched season five of The Ranch on Netflix. Okay. Um, you brought I th- this up on the show before. I thought I did. Yeah, I yeah. wasn't sure if I had. I don't think you'd like it. No, it's as much as I love Sam Elliott. Yeah, I don't like people. It is sitcommy <laughs> as sitcoms get. Yeah. I mean, it's and I d- and I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, but I just feel like it's. My my interpretation, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like kind of a countryfied kind of. It is sitcom. And it like, is. Yeah, it's about but, a family. It's about a ranching family in Colorado. Yeah. So, um, but I think um, one of the producers of the show, Danny Masterson, said that like it's mm-hmm. you know Hollywood is constantly making fun of Middle America, mm-hmm. so we wanted to be Middle America making fun of Hollywood. Oh, interesting. And it's 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 like a very anti elitist show, mm-hmm. and it's it's. It's conservative, very conservative right. show. Uh, all the characters are definitely like Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's also, you know, they realize that they're all stupid assholes too. I mean, it's, right. um, I, th- I think it's refreshing that it's conservative. Um, kind of like Roseanne was back in the nineties, you know, it's, it's uh, amidst all the political affiliations, the liberal political affiliations, it's it sets itself apart in that way. So okay. I'm not particularly conservative, but I, right. I understand it and I think it's it's funny. So um I like it for that reason. But season five was particularly noteworthy because um after season four uh several rape allegations came out. I was just Googling that. <laughs> against Danny Masterson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like one of the like producers of the show. Like mm-hmm. he got it off off the ground along with Ashton Kutcher, um, and some other writers, I think. Uh, so it was, you know, and Netflix made the choice to write him off the show. Mm-hmm. And they, like, before season five came out, they, like, they removed him from all the promotion and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, I was curious to see what they were going to do. Um, and I was pleased with the way they did it. It ended up being pretty emotional and pretty, uh, pretty fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty heart wrenching actually. Uh, it it was, it was well done. And, uh, I thought that because he, because the, the bad situation that they were in, I thought it was going to be like an episode or two and he was just going to be gone. It was going to be a shitty write off. Right. Um, but it wasn't, I mean, he made it all the way through the whole season. Spoiler alert. Um, which I thought was just great because I I loved his character. His character is one of the best parts of the show. He's oh, yeah. hilarious. He's just a dumbass. Sure. Um, he's a drunk dumbass basically. Um, it just it. I don't know why I find the show so charming, but it's <laughs> I don't know. There's just something about it that I I really enjoy, and he's one of the best examples of it. So, mm-hmm. um, I think I think they did a good job with writing him off the show, and uh, he I, I kind of looked into it after we watched this. Yeah finished the season and he he's still a huge supporter of the show oh yeah like when season six premiered uh, came out the last month or so we haven't gotten to it yet but uh Mm -hmm. he like made this big post on instagram about how he still loves the show and everybody should keep watching it and he loves Mm -hmm. the team of writers involved on the show and all that and you know he was like they were put in a really terrible situation and they did it they did it really well and all that. I was like, man, that's big of him to do that. You know, I don't think he's just trying to save face or anything. Mm -hmm. I think he really believes that. So, um, yeah, it's, the show's definitely not for everybody. Um, like I said, I can understand why people might not like it. And it's, it's super like, I don't know if the word campy or cheesy is right, but it's, it's full on sitcom campiness. Um, but it, Hmm. 
somehow it just works because it's got the the twist of the setting and the the politics of it are just really funny. Um, I, I dig I dig the show. Interesting. It's it's kind of a guilty pleasure. I think. Yeah. I think that's the best way to put it. But uh, hmm. I, I mean, there's like Sam Elliott is fucking epic uh, in everything he does. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think he kind of elevates the show, and I think he actually elevates the other actors because Ashton mm-hmm. Kutcher is is fine. I was never sure. a huge fan or anything. I saw him in a few roles, and I thought like, oh, he's actually not bad. He's a better actor than I thought. But I think he has some really tough scenes in the show mm-hmm. and I was surprised at how well he how good of an actor he is I guess um, and I want he's older than I thought too I just looked it up he's 41 Ashton Kutcher yeah yeah he's 41 years old his character in the show is like 30 mm-hmm. something like a little bit younger the guy looks like he's 23 still oh yeah dick <laughs> um, but yeah um, I don't know I just I, th- I just think it's a fun show mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna we already moved on to season six, but we haven't finished it yet. So okay, yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm, I'm probably not gonna. Check it out. Yeah, I don't think you'd like it. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. When you say like it has like it's a very conservative show, like how does that like come into play? Like the politics and uh, um, the, they're just the constantly cracking jokes about um stuff like uh, Bo Bennett, who is Sam Elliott. Mm-hmm. He's the uh, patriarch of the family patriarch of the show mm-hmm. um is wildly conservative and like is constantly cracking jokes about bill clinton and oh. obama and stuff like that and uh he named uh ashton kutcher's character his name's colt colt bennett mm-hmm. his middle his middle name is reagan <laughs> like he's a huge right it's it's funny like Jeez. it's um yeah like there was a wedding and like he quoted he quoted uh ronald reagan uh, mm-hmm. in his speech at the wedding and like his ex-wife is like, yeah, he, well, he was your one true love. And it's like his ex-wife saying it. Um, That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's good. But like they're critical too. Like yeah. his character is, uh, away for a while mm-hmm. and like he comes back and Ashton Kutcher and Danny Masterson had screwed up and they were like trying to avoid. He's like, so what'd you do while I was gone? And he was like, oh, no, they're like, oh, nothing. Uh, you know, fed the cows and Trump said some dumb shit. Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't know. It's, mm. it's very simplistic. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to try to pass it off as a super unique show or like sure. a very highbrow intelligent show, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's just, it's just it's guilty pleasure. Guilty fun. pleasure. Yeah. And did you read, not to go on to a tangent, did you read like about Danny Masterson's accusations and stuff? I didn't know, but I, I think it's like four different women. I mean, yeah, I found a Huffington Post article. I'm sounds gonna, bad. Yeah, um, I'm gonna just read some excerpts from this. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, a months-long investigation into multiple allegations of rape against actor Danny Masterson has inexplicably, inexplicably stalled. Despite the Los Angeles, this is from November 2017, by the way. Okay. Uh, the Los Angeles County District Attorney having compelling evidence in the case. Multiple sources told. Uh, HuffPost, four women have accused Masterson of raping them in the early 2000s. Uh, Masterson is a longtime member of the Church of Scientology, an organization that has a history of covering up allegations of misconduct leveled against the organization and its members. I forgot about that. Yeah, so it's like, like he hired, <laughs> he hired the, uh, same lawyer that, uh, Bill Cosby hired for a retrial of sexual assault charges in Pennsylvania. Um, Let's see. There was something else I was gonna. 
Okay, one of Masterson's accusers uh, filed a police report in 2004 saying that she was raped in 2003, but the case didn't move forward after the Church of Scientology intervened and submitted over 50 affidavits from Scientologists who denied the woman's account. Oh, boy. Yeah, according to a report fi- filed with the Los Angeles Police Department, the woman said Masterson raped her while she was, quote-unquote, passed out, and when she awoke and realized he was raping her, she struggled with him until he choked her and she passed out again. Uh, so yeah, so I'll put a link to the show notes. There's more to that here, but yeah. Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. No. Damn. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, I, th- I think Netflix probably made the right decision. Mm. It's hard to, I don't know. It's, I, I, I'm always hesitant on this, on this stuff. Cause it's mm. like, I want to say until someone's convicted, you right. can't, you know, you can't, yeah. Convict somebody before they're actually on trial, but at the same time, it's like. It's a really tricky. It is thing hard. To navigate. I don't, I don't, I don't blame Netflix for what they did. Yeah. Like I said, they could have just written him off in the first, yeah. the first episode of season five, he's gone. Right. But they didn't. They, they, they did it right, in my opinion. Yeah. So. Um, personally, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what kind of video Danny Masterson comes out with, with him in character. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> Oh my god. God, fucking Kevin Spacey. What the hell is he thinking? Yeah. Anyway, uh, should I wrap us up? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> okay, so, um, the, I'll make this brief because we're running a little long, but, uh, my final potpourri and to wrap up the episode is Big Mouth Season 2. Tiny. Nice. Have you watched any of Big Mouth? I haven't, but I heard Nick Kroll on Joe Rowan's podcast mm-hmm. talking about it and I want to watch it. Yes, it is. Like, I don't want to overstate it or anything. It is, it's hysterical. Okay. Um, at a conceptual level, it is very clever. Cause it's basically, um, I'm sure you know, but enough of our listeners don't know, it's about high, like, like middle school kids, uh, in like, like, that are undergoing puberty mm-hmm. and their hormones are all afire. Um, but the kind of, it's, it's a cartoon. Um, the kind of thing that makes it really great for me is that the characters have like there's a com there's a um concept of hormone monsters so they have monsters that guide them and like are the personifications of their hormones <laughs> okay and it's like it is it using that conceit there is really like um uh piercing uh, commentary on what it's like to be that age. Yeah. And to be that horny all the time. Yes. <laughs> and that confused all the time. <laughs> um, season two is, I don't know if I say even better, but it's, it's on par with the first season. And it expands on the mythology and, and like the weird, crazy shit that the, that the show does. Cause it goes into some weird, kind of gross things here and there. Right. But it is hysterical. And it's like, it's, it's so re- it's the it's the Roma of middle school uh, <laughs> hormone uh, stories because um, wow. it's so real and raw. But <laughs> like season two introduces this thing called the uh, like they have the hormone monsters and then they introduce the shame wizard, <laughs> which comes out whenever like the kids do something. It's like it's like the kids are learning that like like being shameful of their actions and stuff. And it's like it taps into some really like kind of deep kind of emotional problems that kids face. Yeah. It's like it's it's amazing. If it wasn't so raunchy, I would be like, hey, you know. 
nephews should watch this. <laughs> but it's like really, really raunchy. But, yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, it's it's real. I I highly, highly recommend checking it out. Nice. Um, I mean, if you have time for the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I it, when you when you watch, you'll love it. You'll okay. Love it. Nice. You'll go through it quick. Nice. Only ten episode seasons. The half hour episodes. Gotcha. Yep, and the voice talent's amazing. John Mulaney. Have you ever watched any of John Mulaney stand up? Oh yeah, yeah. He, I love his uh, his iced tea yes. routine. Yeah, uh, yeah. Have you seen his latest one, Kid Gorgeous, at Radio City? Uh, I don't think I've seen all. I've seen parts of it. Okay. Did you, Do you know if you saw the ending, the horse in the hospital bit? Yes. It's so so brilliant. fucking funny. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've like, heard that one like to see the ranch do that i'm kidding <laughs> anyway okay so yeah big mouth season two it's on netflix it's hilarious um we got to get tiny to bed got to get yeah. tiny tucked in and in bed and i need to fuck around on the internet for an hour and yawn yep so that's it this is our last episode of 2018 probably nice. I don't yeah know. i need to bump up the storage on our server because i ran out of storage because we've released so much this, this oh my week. gosh wow. but yeah so we have we've released the uh aquaman bonus review that's two hours long um <laughs> and then now we have this that's coming up probably new year's eve so happy new year guys yes um i did see aquaman with you you did yeah and nor- normally like i would have been all over uh mm-hmm. being part of the review with you and feckus but yeah uh just to get it out there meh yeah. Very meh on that movie. Um, that's really, it's, you know, and it's really interesting because, like, I, like, I had problems with the movie. Yeah. Um, but like, talking to Fekus about it, like, I was like, I, like, we actually were pretty, pretty favorable on it. Really? Yeah. It was fun enough. It, mm-hmm. Jason Momoa, perfect. Oh, yeah. Love that casting. Oh, yeah. Uh, love everything about it. And I loved his performance super charming guy just mm-hmm. he doesn't it doesn't feel like that guy's acting when he's acting right. like i just i love that guy mm-hmm. um uh but the it, the movie was just too cartoonish for me okay like the fucking dolph lundgren comes sailing in on a giant seahorse <laughs> i was like I, I can't i just can't this is just mm-hmm. too much and they're sitting there on sharks with saddles i just can't it was just too too cartoonish for me and it that's fair. it completely took me out of the movie that's um, totally unfortunately fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I look forward to you listening to the, to the episode. Hopefully you listen to it. I will. I definitely will. So. Good. Um, yeah. Are you going to listen to the Welcome to Marwin review too? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Try to listen to that one too. Yeah. Um, I would recommend go ahead and listen to the spoiler (laughs) section. Really? (laughs) Because don't see the movie. Really? It's it's not good. Damn. It's really not good. Yeah. You told me, I was so, I'm so surprised to hear that. Yeah. It's, it's so problematic. Um, and I listened to that episode today and we got some good feedback from, from some listeners, Robert in Utah, mm-hmm. um, but nice. like that was a really fun episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I recommend checking that out. What the hell happened to Robert Zemeckis? Oh, I don't know. Like He's when's been- the last time he put out like a really good movie? Cause he did, he did like Beowulf. He's been doing all the mocap oh, cartoon yeah. shit. Like. He did like the Beowulf movie. He did uh, Polar Express. Polar Express, which I like that movie. I did too, but it was also it's not a great movie though, right? And it's also super like Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Um, and then he did. Didn't he do the Christmas Carol movie with Jim Carrey? I think so. Was that him? Yes, he did a Christmas Carol. But uh, I mean, goddamn, Castaway. Okay, he did Castaway in two thousand. Was that his last like good movie? Well, hang on. So he did Castaway, and then 
right after that, Rapix, well, not right after that, four years later, uh, his next, his next three movies were Polar Express, Beowulf, and A Christmas Carol. He was really trying that yeah. mocap stuff. And then he did Flight in 2012. That's right. Which I liked. That's a good movie. Yeah. Um, better than the three mocap movies. Right. But then after that was The Walk, which I never saw. The Walk. Uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt about Philippe. Oh, Petit. yeah. I haven't seen that either. Yeah. I wanted to. Which is interesting because Marwin, Welcome to Marwin kind of shares some similarities because they're both based on, like, inspired by documentaries about real life things. Yeah. Like Man on Wire for The documentary is amazing, Man on Wire. I, I still need to see it's it. It's really good. Um, and then Mar- Welcome to Marwin is based on a documentary about a real life thing called the okay. Call. Uh, but in between those two movies, he had allied, which I heard horrible things about. I didn't even bother seeing that one. Yeah. It had, what was it? Brad Pitt in, was it Angelina Jolie? No, no it was Marion uh, Cotillard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, yeah. he, yeah, that's in- interesting what he's chosen to do. It really is. And it's a shame. Cause like, <laughs> Oh, okay. A real, real quick. Um, uh, so, <laughs> Oh yeah, and then before before Castaway, he did What Lies Beneath, which I don't think I ever saw. Oh yeah, that's a um, decent Harrison movie. Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer's. Yeah, yeah. And then Contact in '97. I love Contact. Yeah, it's funny because um, in '92 he did Death Becomes Her, which is the current uh, movie on the Letterboxd official uh, subreddit um, film club. So that's I'm gonna be watching movie. that soon. That's a good movie. Nice. I've never. I I have no context for what it is either. Nice. So it's I'm, it's a fun. Um, it's a good fun movie. Nice. But um, what I was going to say is like a thing that I complete like me and Kirsten went on to like we went like in depth with our rants about the movie mm-hmm. Welcome to Marwin. And I completely forgot to mention this and it's slightly spoilery, but not really. But it's it's interesting to me because uh, Steven Spielberg made Ready Player One, which is filled to the brim with pop cultural references and yeah. everything. And they, they fit pretty well in that movie. I, I haven't revisited it since the theater, but mm-hmm. like it's, it, it kind of works in a weird way. Robert Zemeckis in welcome to Marwin has the most ham fisted, like, <laughs> like, um, uh, uh, shoehorned in reference to back to the future Yeah, that I've, I've like, it's, it's, it's fucking weird. Okay. It's like, it's, Oh, it's, it's weird. Like basically, basically, um, Mark, who's played by Steve Carell, uh, has this miniature village and everything. And then he kind of talks to the dolls a little bit. Um, and like in his fantasies, like one of them tells him he needs to build her a time machine. And it's like, it's basically a DeLorean. Hmm. It's like, it's just, it's weird. It's like, there's no, like, it makes no sense to the, it, the movie was terrible. I hated it. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah. So anyway, you need to get to bed. I do. I yes. Do I, I send us on that tangent. So yeah. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> so yes. So yeah. The, happy new year guys. We'll be back. Probably. We'll probably gonna take like a week off and then do a sure. year in review episode. And yeah. So. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. If it, uh, try to time, no, I'm not going to do that. Anyway, thank <laughs> you guys for listening, and we'll see you next year. Thanks, guys. And now here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to Patreon.com/obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of one dollar per month. Thank you and enjoy. Hopefully there's not any uh any blockers or anything in the way of me <laughs> locking on my
top ten because I might need to upgrade to a different uh, sorting way. But I mean, th- those problems could just be hereditary. Um, <laughs> make me feel like I'm back in eighth grade. Oh my god! Um, Two of those references I haven't even seen yet. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a pretty good string. Of, oh, thank you. That was pretty good. It wasn't like thank off you. the wall. Yeah. On a, on a separate note. Um, oh shit! Here we I go. That's <laughs> a train wreck. It <laughs> off the rails. On a on a separate note. Um, I was just I was kind of wondering like I know that you guys have a house and everything but if you wanted to like move in here won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> the Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes go to obsessiveviewer.com/ovarchive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike white. That's me at R a Fekis and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower Series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!